Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 66 for November 10th, 2011. So today we're going to go through Star Trek Next Generation uh, by DC Comics, issues number 16, 17, and 18. Cool. Okay. So we're in 1991 now, Ken. That's uh, it's a fi- fine year. It's a fine year. Yeah, I was high school. <laughs> cool. I was in the workforce. Earning your keep. Exactly. And enjoying uh, Next Gen, which was uh, very nice. Okay. Yep. We would have been in the fourth season on these months. Very good. A good so. a good season. Three and four, some of the best. Agreed. Okay. And I have the pleasure of uh, doing two synopses today. I'm doing the first one. Uh, issue number 16, titled, I Have Heard the Mermaids Singing. February 1991 is the uh, published date. Writer is Jan or Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler is Pablo Marcus. Letters Bob Pinaha. Colorist is Juliana Fariter. Editor is Robert Greenberger. So, the usual suspects. The cover shows six Enterprise Ds positioning themselves in front of a very bright white light source. Uh, emitting energy and light outward in a violent way. The word maelstrom, with an exclamation mark at the end, gives us the impression the Enterprise is in for a rough ride. The title page shows a vortex of light that the Enterprise is at the edge of. Captain's Log tells us the good ship and crew are investigating a mysterious eruption of energy and matter, the magnitude of which is unknown to Federation research. To make the anomaly even more mysterious, the eruption seems to have no source. Rather, it is coming out of nowhere. They are wisely maintaining what they hope is a safe distance uh, from it in case it becomes more volatile. On the bridge, Geordi offers the explanation that they are witnessing what could be a white hole. He goes on to explain that a white hole is is theoretically the opposite of a black hole. If a black hole is a super dense spot of matter that sucks in all matter and energy that comes close to it, a white hole could be the other end of the black hole where all of that sucked in matter and energy is ejected back out. They theorize the white hole could be a gateway to another universe or dimension. Data offers that the matter and energy emitted from the phenomena is positively charged, so it is like our own universe's matter and energy. Whatever is on the other side of the white hole is likely to be similar to our universe and obeying the same physical laws, Data conjectures. The entire bridge is bathed in a sharp increase in light levels and and white-hot light. Worf reports the phenomenon's output has increased sharply. Impact in two seconds. 
The bridge crew is knocked off their feet and the ship is rocked. Troy gets up off the hallway in another part of the ship with the aid of a Vulcan crewwoman. Troy exclaims the, that she senses the panic of children. She runs off towards the nearby schoolrooms, saying someone's in trouble. Back on the bridge, Picard sees the phenomena is gone. After the intense elevated output, it apparently winked out of existence. Geordi's status report is serious. Warp and impulse engines are out. Shields are down. Internal and external sensors are down. And weapon systems are down. 24 people are injured in sickbay, but so far no fatalities. Wesley is sent to sickbay himself to get a bad cut looked at. LaForge also leaves the bridge to oversee engine repairs. Troy and Lieutenant Salar, who was the Vulcan who helped you up earlier, enter the children's classroom where a teacher is pinned under a heavy monitor. Salar removes the monitor and Troy calls for help from sickbay. On the bridge, Picard gets a call from engineering, reporting Geordi has not shown up to work on the engines. Picard uses the computer to locate LaForge and finds out he is in a hollow deck. Surprised that Geordi would go to a hollow deck when he is needed elsewhere, Picard and Riker go to the hollow deck uh, where the computer located Geordi. Geordi is lashed to an ancient sailing ship playing out the story of Homer's Odyssey, where Odysseus is strapped to a ship to avoid the lure of the mermaid's song. Riker finally has to untie him from the holodeck ship and carry Geordi over his shoulder into sickbay. Riker leaves Geordi in the care of Dr. Crusher and finds Troy, who is helping one of the children from the class. Wesley is currently another part of the ship in a supply room with a white outfit over his arm where he bumps into L Lieutenant Salar again. She's helping to put things back in order in the room. She's surprised to find Wesley was assigned to help her out in the cleanup. When Salar turns around, she finds out Wesley has left the room. On the turbo lift to the bridge, Picard is thinking about the dangers of being adrift so close to the Romulan neutral zone, and Geordi losing his mind when he is so needed. When he steps onto the bridge, he is knocked to the side by a crewman that has been thrown by Mr. Worf. Worf has lost his mind and is fighting three other crewmen. Picard orders him to stop, but he keeps attacking people, including Picard. To protect Picard, Data subdues a wide-eyed Worf. Picard orders Data to release Worf into the custody of six security men that just arrived on the bridge. He does so, and the security detail has a hell of a time taking Worf under custody and removing him to the sickbay. The crewman that took over Worf's station reports that the recently repaired external sensors say that someone is on the outside of the ship. It turns out to be Wesley. Data is dispatched to bring him back in. With the external sensors back online, astrogation starts to determine where exactly they are. Ensign Forthill reports that the emissions spike before the phenomena winked out of existence move them approximately 3 million kilometers. They are deep into the Romulan neutral zone. To be continued. Okay. 
that Romulan neutral zone. Yeah, you can't get too close to that because you'll just get sucked in. Exactly. It seems like they do get sucked in fairly often, don't they? They do. And you know what? There's Romulans in that neutral zone. Sometimes. Sometimes. Often. I mean, it seems like they're <laughs> always there when the Enterprise is uh, is even close. So. Yeah, you wonder if, if our side of the neutral zone is equally vigilant about being guarded. Yeah, right. right. I mean, you kind of wonder. And I always wondered, I mean, like, they always make such a big deal when the Enterprise or a Federation ship gets into the neutral zone. But right. it it is neutral, right? So why do why is it okay for there to already be Klingons on that side or, uh, or Romulans, Romulans on that or side ready to right. blast you? Yep. You think it's supposed to be uh, an area where nobody's supposed to be. But it seems right. like those bad guys are always there. Right. Like, 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 like they own it. but Exactly. We... Hey. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's always a little murky. Right. Because isn't that what the Kobayashi Maru was all about? A ship uh, fell yep. into the neutral zone and then yep. is getting blown up because the Klingons have the right to blow it up if it's in there? Uh, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Which I never understood. Yeah, well, there you go. Anyways, so uh, I love the cover. The uh, Enterprise getting sucked into that uh, white hole. Exactly. Um, it is a very um, it, well. It, it's supposed to be an impressive phenomenon, and I think they did a pretty good job um, showing it on on the cover. I think it's pretty good art. Yeah, it reminds me of that episode with um, oh, I forgot what it is. Kelsey Grammer's in it, and uh, he's in it at the end yep. where they kept getting sucked into that time vortex, and the three made it, made. Made Riker or made Picard. Why who? Let me start over again. <sighs> was it two or three? Oh yeah, it was three. Data kept subliminally putting threes everywhere, and it was so that he would know to take uh, Riker's suggestion and how to get out. What was that episode called? I don't remember the name of it, but I definitely remember that. So Kelsey Grammer's uh, ship uh, was that a Reliant class ship? It was a Reliant class ship. Yep. Um, came out of the anomaly into the future. And they had to avoid it. And they tried the, all these different ways. And you're right. It was Riker's suggestion that finally got them out. Or yeah, at least I think it was Riker's. Well, it was. Anyway. And Kelsey Grammer played Captain Morgan. Oh, you and, looked it up. No, I'm just going off memory. Oh, man. And Not the impressive. ship's name is Bozeman. USS the Bozeman, Bozeman. The Bozeman. Cool. Yeah. And what's interesting about that episode is that he wanted uh, um, uh, Christy Alley to be on his ship. As as because uh, no. <laughs> he was cool. like you know it's supposed to be this time Savic she played Savic she's yep, my yep. friend I want her on the show with me but they didn't do it because at that time Robin Curtis was Savic oh they, they didn't they weren't quite they didn't done want to confuse people well I don't think they knew what was going to happen with Savic's character and right. you know, that they might have brought her back for Star Trek Six or something like that right. And and supposedly Kelsey Grammer uh, is a fan, right? Star Trek fan? I think so. I, I think he likes it. Um, I remember there was a TV show, like a special kind of thing they had at one time. And it seemed like a rah-rah kind of show for Star Trek, where they had all these like uh, celebrities and stuff. Yeah, and it was like a... It was like a 
an awards ceremony type thing. It kind of seemed like that, right? Yeah, it was kind of Ben Stiller was the host exactly, or something. Yep. exactly. Who's a big Star Trek fan, right. um, and who likes to work Star Trek references into many of his films that he directs and writes. Um, right. But yeah, that that was kind of a weird, that was kind of a weird TV show. But uh, I know I think Kelsey Grammer celebrate the thirty fifth anniversary. It was their thirty fifth anniversary special. Ah, was that it? I think. Yeah. Well, they had. Uh, they had a lot of the actors on there. Uh, but Kelsey Grammer was Kate, on there. Kate McGrew that... and uh, a lot, basically a lot of Paramount, Paramount um, actors. So oh, okay. doing different things for Paramount because, of course, that's the parent company. Oh, that's right, Trek. and they do a whole Frasier skit, right? They do. Uh, that's Frasier, right. a Frasier Star Trek skit, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, exactly. No, that's right. So I it, totally forgot about that. It seemed kind of like they were. I mean, to some degree. It was the corporate entity, um, you know, getting some of the other franchises to, you know, to come and help celebrate uh, with one of their big franchises, Star Trek. So, anyway. That's funny. I've forgotten all about that. That was a good one. We are way off track. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyways, that's what the cover reminded me of. Right. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah. With how it was spinning into the, the white hole. Right. Anyways, love the cover. And I like the art overall. I thought I think the art's getting better. I think it looks better in the next issue than this one, but the people look more like the people to me. Um, yeah, this one. Well, okay, I, I have a comment when we get to the next one, but I guess I mean Pablo Marcus mm-hmm. uh, is 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 doing a lot of the stuff he usually does, which is all good work. It's just that everybody looks like superheroes to some degree. Lots of muscles and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, pretty good detail. And I guess I'm jumping the gun a little bit. But when we get to the next issue, people look more realistic. But I think the, um, well, the, yeah, the precision. It... Uh, well, we, we have a different, uh, we have a different uh, penciler in the next one. Actually, and... Pablo and the other penciler are involved in the next one. But yep. it really does look like Pablo didn't do much in the next one. Uh, where he, what Penders did most of it, right? Um, but it's a very, it's a very jarring change in style for me. But when we get there, let's talk more. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Um, I was kind of wondering why, why Jordy is offering all this white hole theory, white hole theory, and why Data wasn't. Well. That's an interesting point, too, because I was thinking, oh, well, why isn't Data, Data talking about this? I mean, Jordy's the engineer. I mean, not saying that he's dumb and he doesn't know science, but, you know, he's an engineer. Uh, of course, he used to be pilot, but whatever. Um, and, then, and then you've got Data, who really should be more the science guy and usually does come up with a lot of science stuff. But he's not the science officer either. So it kind of me to thinking, well, why don't they have an official science officer? Uh, in next gen, anyway. So yeah, I think Data is just the de facto science officer. Yes, I think he tends to play that role, right? Yeah. So uh, my question was, why didn't Picard remember the white hole incident that the uh, original Enterprise was involved in Star Trek Number Twelve by well, Marvel Comics? That is very interesting. Yes, because <laughs> uh, so, I I knew nothing about that until you mentioned it to me earlier. But we covered it in episode thirty-four. Yeah. I don't remember it. 
I don't remember any reference to the oh, White Holes before. You'll remember the story. It was the one where um, Rand got married to the little pyramid alien. Oh, And they were going to go past the galactic barrier. They end up going crazy, and they go into a white hole, and the Enterprise follows them to get them back out. Oh, God. Now okay. you remember, right? Now I remember. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, re- I don't remember it was, a wh- it was supposed to be a white hole, but okay. Yeah, we talked about it, how the white hole is supposedly the exact opposite of a black hole black where hole. no light yeah. can go in. Yeah, well, they definitely and, retread the, retreaded that comic. Yeah, but what's, what's, what's funny, and, and, and you know, maybe I'm just really reading into it, but that issue, number 12, by Marvel Comics, came out March 1981. And then um, issue number 17, which was still continuation of the white hole alien or the white hole type event, came out March 1991. Exactly 10 years to that month. Is it a coincidence? That is a coincidence. You think it's a coincidence, not I think it's a coincidence. Michael Chan Friedman saying, I'm going to play homage to that maybe not so great episode of <laughs> Marvel Comics number 12. Well, where's the pyramid people? I'm sorry. It's not much of an homage without the pyramid people. And where's Rand? Uh, good point, good point. But we'll t- I, actually, I want to talk about that next, next issue okay. uh, because I might have spoiled something. Oops. Oh, no. Okay, well um... – also, uh, the Vulcan crew, crewman, uh, Lieutenant Salar. Right. Um, the name was familiar to me, even though you know the the way she was drawn wasn't familiar per se, but um, but the name was. So I did a little look up, and it turns out that she is a doctor. Right. And she was in like about five different episodes of Next Gen. Is it only five? I thought she was a bigger player. No. Well. Um, in the in Memory Alpha, where I looked her up, it only mentioned about five appearances. Huh. If she was in more, they didn't bother mentioning them. Yeah, she was in um, – I thought she was in more. I know she's been in some of the Expanded Universe stuff. Uh, yeah. She's usually Dr. Crusher's assistant. Right. Um, and I think she was in last uh, – the last time we did Next Gen, she was in a couple of those issues where she was sitting around the table with Guinan talking about ice fishing. She She was there. Uh, uh. So this is not her first appearance in the comic book, but right. Uh, that that is funny. She, you're right. She doesn't look like she does in the in the show. I think she has short hair in the show, and then in this one she has long hair. Right. She also has an interesting uh, device at her side when she's helping uh, Deanna up at the beginning of the issue. That looks strangely enough like a Taws communicator. Yeah. It does and when like I first looked at it, I said, "What is that?" What is that? So, anyway, it kind of threw me off. And then when I reminded myself she is a medical person, I feel it was a scanning device or something, medical scanning device. I don't know, but I just thought it was an odd thing to be seeing. I do like how they show that she's so much stronger than everybody Deanna. else because she just picks up that looks like a giant plasma TV that's laying on top of the doctor. <laughs> yeah, and she's lifting it up and like her back is arched and she's like hulking that baby. Yeah, she looks like Wonder Woman. Yeah, right, something like that. Yeah. Yep, I liked I like seeing her. Yep. And I and I was familiar with her from the show so I I wasn't that surprised, but that's that's cool that you had to, you looked her up. Yeah, I had to look her up. Yeah. Didn't remember. Didn't remember the details. 
So I, speaking of that part, I did find it funny that out of all the people that were injured, Troy was able to sense that the kids needed help. Right. And, and that these, this scene was really even in there at all. Cause, it didn't have to be. It gave her right. something to do, but... I guess. I mean, I guess they just wanted to show that there was damage and that the children were in danger. Right. But, yeah, it didn't really add anything to the book, I didn't think. No. So at this point in the book, I was wondering what the heck was going on. I mean, was this like, you know, some kind of disease or something was introduced from the White Hole or something? Like those early Taz episodes where, uh, you know, people were free to do whatever they want, including fencing down the hallways without your shirt on. Or was it like some entity was inside of them or something, uh, like many other episodes? So I really, at this point, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird, too, because I was like, you know, they've already done a Next Generation version of Naked Now mm-hmm. or Naked Time. Right, I always whatever. Get, which one? Flip, I think flop. it's Naked Time. Naked but... Time is the Next Gen and Naked Now is the original one? Or is it the other way around? I think Naked Time is the uh, original, original series. Original yeah. one. I think you're right. Yeah, so I'm now. reading this thinking, is is this just going to be another Naked Time ripoff? Right. But uh, – well, we'll I find out we'll next find week out. if we're, we'll find out next issue if I was right or wrong. Uh, I think so. I think so. So I was flipping back and forth. I didn't know what was going. I mean, I didn't know which situation it was, but something obviously was influencing some of the crew. Right. But one of the things that I had a really hard time with is on page eight, mm-hmm. they just start talking about how Wesley has a cut on his face or something. Oh, right. Yeah, and none of the artwork does he look shows injured. a cut. No, they don't bother. Yeah. And I even had to go back to the pages where they were being rocked, and I don't see a picture of Wesley getting hit in the head or anything. So I was really confused, and I was like, did I miss something? Is is this part of them acting weird that they all think that he has this injury when he doesn't? Uh, it, it threw me for a loop. I had to waste a lot of time trying to track down what they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that gives you even a, a clue is that uh... – where where the big emission output goes up and then there's like lightning i mean so there's a shot of the uh of the bridge from above right so you see many of the crewmen not all but many uh being flung out of their chairs and all over the place and a right. yellow lightning going everywhere and then data's still sitting in his seat he's he's pretty cool because he's super strong or something i guess <laughs> and but wesley does look like he's being thrown pretty far but then again a lot of other people are all too. the other ones look yeah. at him look at that one uh that one man or woman right to the right of of uh wharf i mean they're about to break their neck <laughs> yeah, and Picard looks like he's thrown pr- uh, pretty far back too. Yeah, right behind uh, Data. Anyway, yeah, Data's super smart because he has a seatbelt, and the other ones do not. <laughs> Which really makes you wonder. With all the stuff going on in Star Trek, wouldn't you think they'd have seatbelts? But yeah, all right. Well, we can start talking about inertial dampeners and stuff, but I don't think it's wise. Yeah. So speaking of odd equipment that. Uh, Dr. Salar had. What uh-huh. was the devices that the engineering people were using there on page 12? Hmm. It's like they're shooting the warp core with these phaser-looking things. And it has like these little dotted lines coming out of the end of them. Oh, yeah, right. Didn't they have some kind of um, some kind of uh, 
ion collectors or some kind of device that was collecting stuff. But that looks like it's doing just the opposite, shooting things out. Good, good question. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah, weird. But I did like the mermaids on the next page, page 14. <laughs> yeah, the mermaids were pretty cute and stuff. And then look at Jordy. I mean, he's like he just he just lashed himself to the to the mast and he's like just laying there with his arms up in the air going, "Yeah." It's kind of funny looking. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's drawn kind of weird in these pictures. He is. And then when Riker's got him, I mean, he just draped right over Riker's shoulder with his butt sticking up in the air. It's like, oh boy. It's a weird butt shot. It's a weird butt. I mean, it's <laughs> Jordy's butt is prominent in that shot. Yeah, that's that's funny. And Riker looks okay with it all. Yeah, he's like, hey. Yep. Yeah, I, I got like it, Picard. Okay, no problem. I like having a dude's butt in my face. <laughs> but he, he does give Jordy a, a pop off screen in the chin, which uh, which is funny. Oh right! Because when he gets to sick bay, he's got a bruise. Yeah, and he's but like, you never well, saw he, him do it. Yeah, he's like, he tried to get away. <laughs> what, what, I had, what I had to do, I had to pop him. <laughs> uh, Didn't have a phaser. So the last thing I have is when Worf goes crazy and starts smashing everybody with his sash. I right. thought that was a little weird. That he would use that as a weapon. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, it's like a chain kind of thing, and he's really going after Picard. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you can see where he hits the control panel that Data's sitting at, and yeah. you can see sparks and pieces of wiring or whatever popping out. Exactly. And then that's uh, – you, you can go after my captain, but don't come go after my console. Because <laughs> after that, he just gets up and just stands up and just grabs uh, Worf by the shoulder and lifts him up. <laughs> And then those security men show up, and they're all wearing blue uniforms. So I was blue. like, are these doctors? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Services or something. I don't know. I, I, I know I know blue is supposed to be... Uh, sciences. Sciences and medical. And, yeah. well, who does services? Gold. Oh, that's command. Gold is command. No, red is command. You're thinking... Oh, top. that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so... it. So they should have been dressed like Worf, because Worf is um, security. I agree. I agree. I don't know. I just it, thought it, it was a, weird. I, since they only have three colors, it's kind of difficult to uh, to fit more uh, categories into just three colors. I three think. colors is all my grandparents had, or my parents had with the original series. I That's only all I need. The next generation. That's all I need. Exactly. Uh, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Darn right. it. But they mixed up the colors. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they did that. I mean, is it just because reds looks more commanding? I don't know. But it just makes you a good target, I say. <laughs> On all these away missions, when they're in red, it's like, man, what do, what do you like the uh, like the British and the uh, in the Revolutionary War? You make yourself a good target. Anyway, I think <sighs> they were just trying to debunk the whole red shirt phenomenon. Oh, oh. There you go. Well, plus, you know, the uh, Shatner in the movies, they all wore red, so it just became synonymous with captains wear red. Right. But back then, everybody wore red. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So uh, I have nothing else to say on this one. I'm looking forward to finding out what's making everybody go so crazy. It's weird, right? It's wacko. All right. Well, then I'll jump into that. That was issue number 17. 
and came out March 1991. Uh, the writer is the same, and as we mentioned earlier, the artist, um, in addition to Pablo Marcus, is now Ken Penders, and, and all the other credits are the same. So uh, this issue is entitled The Weapon, if I didn't mention that already. So it starts off with the cover. Uh, Picard stands near the windows in the briefing room. He looks down sadly at the table that is littered with the communicator pins of eight of his senior staff. And we see Worf's sash draped on a chair. And looming in space outside the windows are three large Romulan warbirds. There is a title, Now What? So the story starts off on the bridge of a Romulan command ship. The commander and his bridge crew are speculating on the predicament that the Enterprise is in. They speculate that the Enterprise is hanging in space adrift is only a ruse and that Picard wants them to confront them. They believe that the Enterprise is somehow equipped with a new weapon system. They will continue to scan the ship while under cloak and moving closer into sensors range. Uh, we're in the briefing room on the Enterprise. Picard, Troy, Riker, Data, and Crusher are discussing the odd behavior of the crew from last issue. Crusher and Troy have run every test that they know of on the, the uh, affected crew members, and they can find nothing wrong with them. In fact, they don't even remember acting odd in any way. In the middle of the meeting, Troy suddenly starts to act a little bizarre. She jumps up on the table and starts posing and strutting around. Uh, all the while, she is accusing Picard of having personality problems because he is only a starship captain. That he does nothing other than be a starship captain. She asks him why he cannot relax and let his hair down. Uh, Crusher asks Troy to come back to sickbay and get checked out, which she complies, but she still uh, grumbles that she has no problems because she is the ship's counselor. So once they're gone, Riker, Data, and Picard discuss how the Enterprise is adrift and moving deeper and deeper into the neutral zone. Picard fears that even with Worf, Geordi, and Wesley back at their stations, they will still be defenseless when the Romulans arrive. All right, so aboard the Romulan ship, they are now close enough to perform a full scan and are shocked to see that all of the Enterprise systems are down. One of the Romulans notifies the commander that he is picking up some odd sentient life forms within the Enterprise. There seems to be some immaterial life forms, and the Romulans speculate that these life forms are somehow enhancing the crew, and that is the secret weapon that the, Inter the Enterprise is testing while looking deceivingly disabled. So back on the Enterprise... Riker and Picard are walking the corridors when they notice a panel left open. Riker is taking this as just another sign of the sloppiness on the ship. Picard disagrees, and he states that it's probably just forgotten during this crisis. Riker is not soothed by his words. He goes on and on about how dirty the floors are and how the Enterprise is his and not Picard's. He starts to get a little violent with Picard, but before the security can arrive to assist, Riker is on the floor crying like a baby. He's very upset that the Enterprise is going to die, and there's not a damn thing he can do about it. Please don't let the Enterprise die. You know, something like that. And then I have a little note in here that uh, the future Riker should show up at this moment and say, Psst, if you want the ship to not die, don't let Troy fly it. 
that's just me ad-libbing. That's not actually there. <laughs> Anyways, Romulans uh, open up contact and Picard rushes to the bridge. The Romulan commander reveals that he knows all about the secret weapon with the life forms inhabiting the and enhancing the crew. He demands that the Federation has underestimated the Romulans and that, that they will not be so easy to defeat, even with all these special enhancements. He gives Picard ten minutes to leave the neutral zone before he starts opening fire, and then he closes communication. Picard and Data discuss about this revelation, and uh, that they must have picked up some aliens when they brushed with the white hole last issue. Picard starts talking into the air, demanding that these creatures stop inhabiting his crew and show themselves. He informs them that they are all about to die due to the, the invasion of these creatures. Just then, three strings of green light appear on the bridge. They claim to be explorers from another dimension and that they were only doing what they did as a way to learn about new species. They did not mean to cause any harm. And they ask Picard if there's any way they can make it up to him. On the Romulan ship, the ten minutes is up, and the commander is about to give the order to open fire on the Enterprise. Just then, his crew start to, start to act a little odd. The first officer starts complaining about even being on a warbird. He just wanted to be a teacher back home, but his parents made him join the military. Uh, the weapons officer starts to tear his workstation apart because he just wants to see how it works. Uh, then they are. Um, then they all start to fight. There's actually a fist fight amongst the crew. Strange things are happening. On the Enterprise, Picard wonders if their new friends were able to disrupt the Romulans. Worf advises him that it must be working because one of the warbirds started to fire on another one. Jordy, at that moment, calls and informs them that they have warp one capability. Picard makes the order, and they are on their way. Once the Enterprise is safely in Federation space, Data asks if the incursion into the neutral zone will cause a rift with the Romulans. Picard suspects that the Romulan commander will be too busy trying to explain his crew's actions than to report that the Enterprise was ever even in the neutral zone. Troy asks about the energy beings themselves. Picard again suspects that they'll be okay and that they can take care of themselves. Riker starts to ask about his previous actions, but Picard cuts him off saying that he was just not quite himself at the time. The end. Well. Do you buy that about the uh, energy beings being safe to go out and do whatever they need to do? Hell no. That's the, that's the first thing I'm thinking. It's like, okay, first you go ahead and and basically sick these energy beings on the Romulans, which, by the way... Great idea, great plan, except what about the energy beings? So you're just you're just leaving them with the Romulans. <laughs> and then and then what are they gonna do? I mean the poor things, they're on the other side of the, the galaxy or something. They're from a different universe. Who knows where they're from? Right. But strange they're... galaxy. It's like I don't know. But what got me was that they're going to cause Ravik with the hum, Romulans and then they're gonna float over to another ship somewhere and start infecting them. And, I mean, how do they know that, you know, the Enterprise was able to get away free, uh, you know, safe and sound, but whoever they inhabit next, are they going to be as lucky as Enterprise was? I agree. It's like, uh, it, it just seems like a little, they're in a little bit too much of a hurry to wrap this up quickly and move on to the next uh, issue. 
Right. There's too many ramifications here. Now, mind you, it was funny. It having... was a funny ending, but but it's just yeah. too many questions. Well, it, it's like beaming the Tribbles over to the uh, Klingons. <laughs> well, that's a good idea, Scotty. But what about those poor Tribbles? Well, they had Tribble barbecue that night. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Klingons did, but you know. Anyway. Well, what got me was that you know. Uh... Picard says that you know, the Romulans are going to be too busy uh, re- trying to make excuses for why their crew is acting weird to talk about the Enterprise being there. And I'm like, right. hell no, they won't. That'll be the first thing out of their mouth. <laughs> the Federation <laughs> sent over these alien beings that make this all act crazy. Let's go get them. Exactly. It's going to start a huge war. It's not going to. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's... The whole ending just just stank of you know hey you know we're done with the story everybody don't think too hard see you next week you know exactly yeah i wasn't crazy about it now i will say that the the beings were inhabiting the uh, enterprise crew because that was just their first try at understanding what the the world they were in they didn't realize they were harming anyone supposedly and and so you don't know after they go and inhabit the Romulans, so to help make up for the what they did to the Enterprise crew, you don't know that they're going to be jumping from ship to ship and inhabiting people. I mean, they might not be. And I, and I certainly didn't think they would be doing that. Um, so I wasn't thinking of them as being dangerous per se. But I was thinking about those poor curly straw green aliens. And how they were never going to make it back home. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, well, I thought of that too, but then I was thinking, well, I mean, they said that's how they get around, and that's how they investigate things, so I I didn't get Oh, getting into people. Right, so I didn't get that they would ever stop. I just assumed that Picard assumed that they would go off and explore our universe the same way they explored their universe, which means that they're going to cause all this, this havoc everywhere they go. Yeah, the the story did say, or the story did say that they said that they do inhabit what material beings did they call right. them something like that? Right. Well, yeah. So well, I'm not crazy but, about how it ended, but whatever. yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, we were talking about that Marvel issue number twelve, and where the uh, Enterprise went into a white hole dimension, and um, I'll probably put it on the on the website a picture of the enterprise and the white hole dimension right and you can see all these little weird nebulous shapes floating around the enterprise and one of them is this little nebulous green shape so again maybe i'm trying to you know make too many connections but it just seemed weird that there's a little green shape in the white hole dimension in marvel number 12 and then here the aliens are depicted as little green strings of energy yeah, yeah. They they in this issue they look like uh, like what, what were those bendy, crazy, curly straw plastic things when your right. kids they had. That's what they kind of look like. But but then they kind of loop in over themselves. Uh, in the old uh, in the old comic one, those white hole aliens are just all kinds of different shapes. But you're right. The one toward the bottom kind of looks like like two rubber bands. Right, two green kind rubber of, bands. Two green rubber bands kind of joined like in the middle, almost like a cross kind of thing. But um, yeah, they, 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 that is a little bit like our green curly straw aliens in this issue. Right. Coincidence? I don't know. I think the whole, I think the whole thing is highly suspect. 
I think it, it, I, it, I think Friedman better have wrote, written a check to somebody. <laughs> I just think it's weird that it came out exactly ten years to the month. Right. I mean that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. For it to be a coincidence, which I'm very certain it was a coincidence, but it just seems weird. That's just what I'm saying. Well, after all the different comic books that have come out for Star Trek and all the different movies and TV shows and books, it's like yeah, you got to expect some overlap eventually. <laughs> just you know, just put a bunch of monkeys in a room t- with typewriters. You know, eventually they'll end up with a similar episode of Star Trek. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but will it be drawn the same way? Huh? No, huh? it won't. Speaking of art. Yep. Now that we're here, um, I think Mr. Uh, Ken Penders definitely has a different artistic style than Pablo, um, a more realistic style, but I also don't think it's quite as, um, I don't know, refined. I mean, I like his art. He's fine. There's nothing wrong with the art. Um, it just doesn't look quite as, I don't know, um, quite as precise i don't know but i, I was just gonna just because i'm looking at it since when are romulan uh heavy cruisers blue and purple is it am i not remembering something which is possible in my experience they're always green they're like hulk green come on well when they when they're let me pull it up oh no you're right these are all blue well, it's light blue and then purple and kind of a blue-purple. And then they've got a little yellow highlighting. Yeah. I thought those first pages were just because it was showing it under cloak. Right. But even in the later pages, it's still the same color. So, yeah, yeah you're right. Good point. Odd colors. But, you know, I mean, physically, it's spot on. I mean, that, that looks like a TV uh, Romulan cruiser. Yeah, and, and in regards to the art, I just – I personally, I mean, you can't really tell. You can kind of tell when 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 one artist is doing it and when the other artist is. But I mean, it either looks like um, uh, Pablo Marcus did very little. I think he did very little. Or, but you know, like when Troy's on the table, that that looks like Pablo's artwork. I think. Well, Troy's got some nice uh, shape going there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it looks like a lot of detail and, you know, a little bit of muscle tone. But really, is that quite as much muscle tone as uh, as Pablo usually gives everybody? Yeah, yeah you're right. It, uh... now, now, the only parts that I thought that were clearly Pablo was on uh, page page six. In the middle, there's a shot of Picard's head. Where he's looking, I mean, mostly his head, and he's looking, uh, you know, straight at the, at the, almost straight at the uh, reader. That looked like Pablo style. Um, especially if you go back a page and look at another uh, shot, a similar shot on page four. Four. Which looks more like what Ken's been doing in, in the artwork. Hmm. So you think Ken did page four? I think, and you think Ken Pablo did, did page. Well, not uh, the whole page. Six. I think he did that. Definitely that one panel. That that shows uh, Picard's uh, yeah. in close up. I don't know that he necessarily did the one 
you know, like, like the one uh, above with Troy and uh, Dr. Crusher with the orange hair. Um, I, I, I think that's Ken. Mm. That's my, my thought. Yeah, I have. I mean, there's no way to tell. Well, not conclusively, but right. if, if you look that that Picard though, if you compare that Picard to many of the other drawings of Picard in the comic, I I just don't. I think that's different than the others. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can see what you're saying, but I don't know for sure because they right. do look different between those two pages. Right. All right. But uh, it's good artwork. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, All right. I thought it was interesting how the uh, Romulan sensors were able to so precisely register the incorporeal, intelligent energy beings. I mean, they not only knew that they were there, even though they weren't necessarily scanning scanning for energy beings, mm-hmm. but they could tell they're intelligent, which it's like okay. Um, and they were even telling that they were in the same vicinity. Well, I guess this would, that wouldn't be well, as hard. Well, they even knew Six. that they were inhabiting the crew. Right, because they said they were in like the same physical location as a uh, as a normal as a human, or as, right. a, as a Federation uh, crew members. So that was that's some pretty good sensors you got there, man. Yeah, I thought it was weird that, you know, in that first page, they have a really good close-up of the Enterprise on the view screen. Right. And then in the dialogue, they say they're too far to get a good scan. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding? You're, like, looking right up the nose of the Enterprise. Exactly. I mean, even if you've got really good, uh, you know, magnification on your optics, come on. If you can get that, that good a visual picture, your sensor should be able to do something. <laughs> yep, I agree. Good point. I hadn't thought about that. So what do you think about the uh, Romulan commander, especially on page two in that top right-hand page uh, panel? Did you think that he looked like anybody or am I uh, – because I thought he kind of resembled two different actors. Really? Two different actors? Who could they be? Well, one of them was Mark Leonard. Of course. Who was the first Romulan. So I didn't know if that was what they were going for. Or again, maybe I'm just drawing connections that that aren't really there. But especially his eyes and his nose reminded me of Gary Graham, who at the time was an actor on Alien Nation, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. would later on, yep, he would later on be uh, a, a character in Voyager and then a character on Enterprise. Oh, he was in Voyager too. I don't remember that. Yeah, he. Played... I remember him in Enterprise. Yeah, he played the um, the Vulcan ambassador on Enterprise, and he played a Okampa leader on Voyager. Oh, when they find the second caretaker, uh-huh. uh, he was he was the Okampa leader on that on that uh, space station, huh. and he was the one that was trying to get Kess to uh, leave and leave Voyager and and live with them. Right. So I've always liked. Gary Graham. I loved mm-hmm. him in, in Alienation. He played Matt Sykes. Yep. And to me, this picture looked just like him, and I'm like, do you see it, or am I just completely no, I, crazy? I, I kind of see it. I can see him more matching Mark, Mark Leonard, though. But uh, well, Especially with I the hair. That. Right. Yeah, okay, so it's just me. <laughs> 
No, I mean, to Which some degree. Which is a good answer. To some degree. <laughs> I mean, it didn't come to my mind. It was right. like, oh, oh, look, a Romulan with gray, graying temples. Okay, cool. I, I didn't say Mark Leonard, and I certainly didn't say uh, Gary Graham. Gary Graham. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should be saying, Gary Graham. Yeah, quite frankly, I didn't even know the guy's name. <gasps> I mean, when you when you first showed me that picture to compare it to, it's like, uh, oh yeah, the guy from Alienation. Cool. Didn't know his name. Yeah, I don't know what else he did. I'm I'm assuming he did other non sci-fi stuff, but that's the only thing I ever saw him in. I missed it. Yeah. So my last note was: it seemed that Riker at the end remembered his interaction with Picard. Where at the beginning of the book they made a big deal that no nobody remembers. remembers what they did when they were being possessed. Yep. Did... Good point. Good point. So that was it. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting what they decided to say about each character. Like the fact that the first officer, the Romulan first officer, wanted to be a teacher. It's like, oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. And then um, Riker's big thing is trying to protect the ship. Well, I suppose that makes sense. Um, but Jordy wants to be la- lashed to <laughs> a, a ship and have mermaids uh, seduce him. Oh, I, personally, I like Jordy's the best. <laughs> you don't like uh, Wesley's? Uh, I think that would be interesting, but the idea of being outside the ship in a space suit sounds thrilling, but dangerous. Where Geordi's just sounds thrilling. <laughs> well, you know, Geordi has had some uh, some holodeck romances in the past. Uh, right. Yes, with his uh, with that uh, I forgot her name. That that engineering. Uh, Doctor, whatever her name was. Uh, Leah Brahms. Oh, that's it. Leah Brahms. That's it. Yep. I remember that one. Is that the one you're talking about or a different yep, one? that's the one. Okay, yes. And she was a cute lady. Yep. And she catches him. The real Leah Brahms catches him. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What, what are the odds that they sh- would end up uh, working on something together, number one? And number two, what are the odds that she would find out about uh, about the little holodeck, um, whatever you want to call it? No, it was because she uh, did the Enterprise engines. Right. And yep. uh, when she was there in Geordi, when she was actually on the ship and Geordi wasn't there, she saw that Geordi had a, you know, a subroutine in the holodeck about the development of the Enterprise, of the Enterprise uh, engine. engines. So she ran it and it just happened to have this... Leah Brahms' lover character. <laughs> Wait a minute. Lover character? Well, she was very complimentary. Oh, okay. Jordy, you're so smart. <laughs> I don't remember the, that. That was the gist of it. That wasn't no, exactly she was what supposed she to, She was supposed to be something to help him with the diagnostics, I thought. Right, but she so got... Whatever. But he asked her to... He asked the computer to give her a personality, and right, that was right, right, what right, they gave her. Right. And then one thing led to another. Boom. You can't fault him take for off, that. Take off the safety protocols, computer. All right. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that, but maybe I <laughs> it's, it's, it's an attempt at humor. Okay. All right. Anything else? No. No, I, that's, I, I've said what I need to say about this one. This two-parter. 
Yeah, they do a lot of two-parters, and then they usually follow it up with a one-parter, and that's right. that's exactly what we got here. Which is convenient the way we've we've organized the show. Yes, it's so every out well. episode we seem to have one two-parter and one standalone. Exactly, or a three or a three-parter, or but at least we're not splitting anything, you know. For now, I think later on we'll get some longer miniseries or longer series, but for now okay. it's convenient. Yeah, it's almost like we planned it this way. Wow, I'm and you might have. I didn't. <laughs> okay, shall we do number three? Yep. Excellent. So this is issue number 18. It's called Forbidden Fruit. April 1991 is the published date. The writer is uh, a couple of new guys, at least to this, this series. Uh, David Stern and Mike O'Brien. We've got a penciler named Mike Manley. Inker is Robert Campanella. Letters are by Bob Pinaha. Colorist is Juliana Fereder. And editor is Robert Greenberger. The cover shows Jordy and Data as the two largest heads uh, on, on the picture. So I kind of thought that it was going to be about them mainly, but whatever. Uh, lower in the page is Dr. Crusher and Wesley. Uh, their upper tor torsos are there um, towards the bottom. Between them is a mysterious caped silhouette of a, of a man with yellow lightning stuff coming out around him. The story opens in Wesley's quarters, where a boy genius is running an experiment with what looks like a mini desktop transporter that successfully makes a model ship disappear from one blue disc and appear on the second blue disc. On the surface, it does not appear to be doing anything the ship's transporters don't do on a regular basis. But this might be uh, some homemade... Um, this, this might be a homemade version of something special. So the narrator's judgment is withheld for the time being. Elsewhere on the Enterprise, Geordi and Data are running some diagnostics of their own. And so far, they are not, they, they are not working. They discover the latest failure is due to an unexpected power drain that is traced to Wesley's quarters. Wesley, again. Wesley is making a personal log entry, stating that his successful experiment is different from conventional transporters in that the matter is transferred directly to the target location without having to travel the distance between the source and target. He says if it can be applied to a larger scale, it could be a revolution in space travel. Just then, Data and Geordi enter his quarters and tell Wesley to shut down whatever he's doing since the power drain is ruining their transporter recalibrations. Wesley says it does not require that much power, and besides, he shut it off 10 minutes ago. When he checks the device, he sees it is still on, and comes to the conclusion he can't shut it off because it's drawing power from somewhere else. Inside the title page, which finally comes this far into the story, is a full-page panel that shows a surprised Geordi, Data, and Wesley staring up at a stranger standing on the two pads of Wesley's device. The issue's title, Forbidden Fruit, is in large, block-red font at the top of the page. Picard, Worf, and Riker enter Wesley's quarters with stern looks on their faces. Wesley tries to explain what happened, but he can't explain how it happened. The stranger appears to be ignorant of technology and probably the concept of, of space travel. Picard tells everyone to watch what they say around their guests. The prime directive 
is in full force. Picard introduces himself to their guest, who just so happens to speak English and has the name of Pierce. He looks into Picard's eyes and says, Picard of Starfleet. He states that would truly that he would truly have to be a primitive not to have heard of Starfleet and its great deeds. Next he meets Wesley. Pierce looks into Wesley's eyes and sees a mustached man in a Starfleet uniform extending his hand for a handshake. Picard asks Worf to escort Pierce to sickbay for an examination, then to his guest quarters. Picard speaks to Wesley alone. He chastises the boy for using dangerous Iconian tech in, that, in the construction of his hyperport machine. Wesley says that his hyperport could not have brought Pierce to the Enterprise. Picard maintains that use of little understood Iconian technology could lead to any result. Wesley pledges himself to find a way to send Pierce home. Picard calls Geordi and orders him to devote his entire engineering staff to work on getting Pierce home as a top priority. Worf finds a very sleepy, overworked Wesley working hard on the problem and tells him Pierce wants to see him. Wesley walks the halls with Pierce when he gets the idea to take Pierce to the holodeck. There they continue to talk while they walk through many simulated locations on Earth. Pierce tells Wesley he does not wish to return home and asks Wesley to destroy his experimental hyperport. Wesley says even if he did that, half the engineering staff knows how he built it. They would just build another one. Pierce says he understands. Later, Pierce enters sickbay when no one is around and steals a hazardous container of Vidarian fever. He walks to a life support control node and releases the sample into the water system. Later in the conference room, Picard and his command staff discuss what they have discovered. Wesley's device could not have brought Pierce here on its own, so it appears to have acted as a passive receiver of a much stronger transportation beam. Worf says Pierce really is a primitive, and that he could not possibly have the tech required to transport aboard. Troy says she senses Pierce is completely sincere as to who he is, but she senses a great loss in him. A great sadness. Picard assigns Data to investigate the mystery of Pierce. Just as Picard is about to take a drink of water, Dr. Crusher hails him from sickbay, where she is dealing with an outbreak of a plague on the Enterprise. She says it's being transmitted via the ship's water supply. Picard puts his glass down slowly. Eventually, Dr. Crusher identifies a disease as Vidarian fever and says it can kill hundreds. He goes on to say she keeps a sample of the disease in sick bay and it's missing. She asks who could do such a thing and Picard states he has one obvious candidate. Later in the Enterprise conference room, Picard calls Pierce who readily admits he poisoned the ship's water supply, but refuses to say why. Worf offers to loosen his tongue, but Picard decides to take Pierce to the holodeck that has been turned into an overflow sickbay where Dr. Crusher is trying to treat many 
including children, that turn out to be particularly susceptible to Vidarian fever. Pierce asks for forgiveness. He did not realize that children were aboard. Picard asks him why he did such a thing. Pierce says he released the fever aboard the Enterprise because Wesley destroyed his world. In response to Pierce's accusation, he produces a standard Federation data module. Data plugs it into the conference room's playback terminal. What plays back is the log of Captain Wesley Crusher. From the future, he tells the story of how his landing party accidentally introduced a virus onto Pierce's planet, uh, uh, named Rovian 4, or Rovin 4, that has so far it has killed thousands of the planet's inhabitants. He is not sure exactly how, but the commonly used hyperport has led to the creation of a disease in the Starfleet crew that the Rovians have no resistance to. Captain Crusher sent Pierce back through time via the hyperport to the past to stop the hyperport from being used by Starfleet. Data said he suspects time travel was possible using this tech, and this is the confirmation. Wesley says he wished he never invented the hyperport. Riker quickly suggests that maybe he did not. He suggests that one of them use the hyperport to go back in time far enough to stop Wesley from activating the device. Worf volunteers stating Wesley will listen to him. Dr. Crusher points out that they all have been exposed to Vidarin fever, so none of them can go back in time. Well, almost no one. Data is sent back via the hyperport, and before he leaves, he says he will find a way to not adversely affect the past and will stop Wesley's experiments. When Data arrives in the past, standing on Wesley's hyperport, he has internal circuit damage from the trip and has just enough time to tell Wesley to destroy the hyperport since it contaminates... Boom! Data melts down and is covered with automatic fire-retardant foam to the point that he is unrecognizable. Data from that timeline and Geordi enters the room, unhappy with how Wesley's power drains are interfering with their transporter recalibrations. They leave after telling Wesley to be more careful with his experiments next time. The story ends with Wesley recording a personal log entry, saying recent events have convinced him to suspend his hyperport experiments until he can rethink the theory behind it and maybe get other experts' input. He will not move forward until he is 100% sure it's safe. The end. So it does imply that he will continue the research. He's just going to be more careful about it? Uh, yes, and make sure that other people's input is brought in and, uh, and that they also think that the dangers are, uh, are covered. However, I got to ask... He saw, he saw data in front of him, and he melted down. And, he, and data was able. He recognized data. He said data, mm-hmm. and he was able to hear. I assume data say a little bit about not using the hyperport. It causes contama. You know what? He didn't finish his sentence. Right. But he but he heard enough, and he saw enough to see data, another data come in. Yet, he doesn't mention anything about that in his log entry. Now, 
<laughs> break up into groups and discuss. So yeah, okay. So yeah, no, that that was weird. So okay, so because data came back and stopped Wesley from activating it, and then it becoming successful enough that he continued working with it and making it into a a viable way a replacement for the normal te transporter technology then captain wesley crusher who we know there never is a captain wesley crusher or crusher at least i don't think there is based on what we know of know of him becoming a traveler right um <clears throat> does that mean that he never uses the tra the the uh, hyperport which means he never contracts the disease that is uh inflicted to pierce's people so therefore pierce never comes back in time and then therefore data never comes back in time and right about now my brain hurts <laughs> well yeah i mean he he should have there should have been more speculation as to where that other data came from yes. was this another data from an alternate timeline a future timeline a yes. another dimension i mean right there was but, a lot of questions there, and he's just like, you know what? I think I'm going to be more careful in the future. No, but part of my point is, is this. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with that scenario, and that's what I was thinking at first, too. Right. But then I was thinking, okay, what if, like I was saying a few minutes ago, if him not going forward with the experiments did not lead to Captain Crusher uh using the hyperport and you know starfleet in general using the hyperport then he wouldn't have infected pierce's people and so there'd be no reason for pierce to go back in time and he wouldn't have a hyperport anyway right i understand what you're saying but so, i mean you're looking at it as it's if, like the reset I'm, I'm calling it a reset button right basically. but i mean it's no different than the 2009 star trek movie i mean a future version of data came and notified a and slightly changed that that future. So that future is not going to happen, and we'll have a future where Captain Wesley or whatever won't infect those people because they won't right. be using the hyperport. Right, 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 right. So then the whole scenario of Data going back in time to end up on, standing on, you know, frying his circuits on Wesley's uh, work table could not happen. Right. So then, if he never saw data, and he never saw and heard what he had to say, then maybe that's why he never mentioned seeing data. But then, how does he know to be more careful next time? Well, He's I mean, really... there's still a, there was still a lump of circuitry sitting there, and data's right, even but... holding it up. So it's not yeah, like but that what stuff does he just say? disappeared when the. Like yeah. time reset itself or something. Yeah, but what does Data say about what he's picked up off the table? He says it looks like... Um, what, what, uh, he uh, says uh, the, this circuit looks familiar, but not Iconian. Oh, oh, he's, oh, I thought he said it looks Iconian. Oh, good point. It looks familiar, but not Iconian. <laughs> that's funny. It's himself. Okay, that's cool. Right. Uh, okay, then... Okay, so back to the original point, then. Uh, why... Did Wesley make the conscious decision, as uh, as Data did in the most toys, that he was going to kill Fage, well, whatever that traitor's name was, right? And then be quiet about it. You know, I did it, but I'm not going to admit anything because <laughs> I'm not I'm not a dumb robot. Maybe <laughs> Wesley's like, well, 
I know something weird happened, but uh, I'm not going to tell anybody about it because I can't back up anything. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Or, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was weird that he didn't make a bigger deal out of that than he should. Yeah, me too. Hell, for as, as far as he knew, he just beamed over Lore or before yeah. and killed him. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's another possibility. Uh, another thing, you know, okay, so anytime you talk about time travel stories, yep. um, you can't think about it too hard or else it, it, it falls apart. Uh, oh. But I'm going to think about it too much. So, um, if... <laughs> so, when Data came back in time and ended up on top of uh, Wesley's machine, um, so he must have come back just before Pierce showed up, right? Because otherwise they'd, be, they'd both be standing on that transporter or that uh, that hyperport pad, right? Yeah, he came. Thing. He came before because when Pierce showed up, Data and Jordy were already in there. Right. And this was before. This was when he Whoa. first started beaming that little ship. Right. So, if Data came back uh, and ruined the machine, then how could Pierce have come back? And it was Pierce coming back in time that Data even found out that he had to go back in time. Because in this timeline, this new timeline, Pierce won't be coming back. <laughs> I don't see where you're having a problem with this. It's it's a new timeline. Oh please! Oh please! Just like uh, oh, just like in the 2009 movie. I know. Back. You're I in a know. new universe now. I don't. Yeah, that's this is why time travel is never going to happen. <laughs> this kind of stuff. I don't know. The paradox the paradoxes that ensue. Yeah, no. Star Trek I think has normally tried been pretty good at not changing the past. Um, you know, mainly with the, you know, the e- Edith, uh, Keeler, Edith Keeler. Oh, right, right. Yep, yep. I mean, ever since then Star Take Trek I think has kind of had their foot in the ground where, you know, anything you change happens everywhere, you know, that that we don't change time, that it's a loop, that anything uh, you do in the past right. did already affect your future even though you didn't know it kind of thing. It, exactly, like the idea of Scotty giving the guy in the past uh, transparent aluminum. Well, how do you know the guy didn't invent it? You know, that kind of thing. Right. So even when they change the past, it kind of is okay. But they right. usually don't change the past, at least in that no significant way until a 2009 movie exactly that was the first time where they did something significant that was a major change and i don't even know if something like this minor like in this one they would have done in in the tv show i mean because you gotta admit time travel to get you out of the pickle you're in is kind of a crutch (laughs) (laughs) true Uh, um yeah I, i was i was kind of surprised when uh when Captain Mecha Enzi Calhoun uh, resorted to it, the slingshot thing to go back in time and take to take care of a little uh, a problem he was having in one of the uh... yeah that was uh, double time by exactly right Ida, or Wildstorm was, right which was pretty cool I like that yeah that was a good one I, I didn't like again I didn't like the end of that one either yeah yeah because oh. in that one it was even more confusing because basically there was two. Uh, uh, Excaliburs 
because they both existed in the same timeline and and one didn't destroy one of them didn't get destroyed so indefinitely will there be two different uh, um two different uh, Excaliburs, Excaliburs. In, in the universe it didn't explain i guess so well what what if okay so that's that actually brought up a thought of mine um if data didn't have uh, short circuiting going on there would have been two datas in the past and not only in the past there would always be two datas Right, yeah, I, that that was my question, and and I was wondering, did Data somehow purposely cause himself, cause himself to be destroyed? Because he does make that comment, "I'll make sure that I don't affect the timeline." Right. So and I I, I kind of wondered if he did that on purpose. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I had the impression that it was the transportation uh, through the hyperport which caused the internal circuitry problem, but the possibility of him actually doing it to himself, it did cross my mind. It, it at least they made it seem like it was uh it was a side effect of the transport but right or at least that's what data wanted wesley to think it, it was unclear yeah. i could it, see it was unclear. i could see it being argued both ways but sure and, and if it was just random chance that they, that you know it, it it had that effect on the circuit circuitry then then it goes into the area of well, that's a little too pat isn't it right you know. And and you do have this, you know, you have that sentence that Data says, uh, "I will make sure my presence in the past causes no complications." Right. So it's just that one sentence that that to me supports the idea that Data somehow did this to himself. Yep. How he did it to himself, I don't know. No. I mean, because uh, he he couldn't, he didn't have the time to go in and start ripping out any circuits. It would have had to have been something he could do, you know, by just. Just affecting himself, uh, you know, with his with his uh, positronic brain or something. Right, self destruct. Exactly, a self destruct mechanism. There you go. That would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, does he have one of those things? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so all right, so that's the end of the book. Back to the beginning of the book. Um, uh, how did Data know that Pierce was a primitive just by having him show up? I mean, Pierce uh, is just standing there, and he's like, "Oh, he's a primitive. He doesn't know who the Federation is." I, I was, I was kind of assuming that they were talking to him, you know, before Picard and company got there. Oh, okay. At least that's what I assumed. You know, just enough to find out that, uh, well, he looks primitive, and he doesn't seem to know much. <laughs> so, it's almost like talking bad about somebody uh, before you really think, know, thinking that they don't understand English, and then they're right. like, "Oh." I heard everything you said. <laughs> yes, exactly, right. Yeah, yeah, when he when he goes to Picard, uh only a true primitive would not have heard of the mighty federation. Right. Right. It was funny. No, yeah, that was kind of funny. Well, I, I will say this. Um, even though there are you know, there's there's defects in the story. Um and, and it's you know, it's not the the most perfect thing in the world, but those time travel stories, as complicated as they are and fraught with uh, potential um, disappointment if you think too hard about it, uh-huh. they sure do get you thinking. Yeah. And they generate a lot of discussion. Out of the three books, I think this one was my favorite. Oh, yes. Definitely. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you could nitpick it to death if you, you know, if you look at Wesley, future Wesley's uniform. Oh, he's wearing season three episode still, exactly. uh, uniform. You know, why is he not wearing the gray and black? Why is he not wearing 
you know, what they were wearing during, um, you know, after Nemesis, which we well, saw in like the the right. games and stuff. So, and of course, this was published in '91. Of so. course, that's what I'm saying. You can't do that to this, or yeah. at least it's not fair to the book if you do that. If you look at it at the mindset of when this came out, yeah, this was a pretty good story. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. Uh, the, the only problem I had with it was. How did the guy Pierce know to go get that that jar from Beverly's cabinet? Oh, and then also agree. go to the uh, air recycler and pour it in, or the water recycler yeah. and pour it in. And the only thing I can assume is either that's just a big hole in the story, or Captain Crusher briefed him on that contingency. No, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have said, "Oh, and and I forgot to tell you, there's a bunch of little kids on the ship." My bad. Well, okay. <laughs> if I I think Pierce Fetter, was going Starfleet, on his own own, own accord could, here. Oh, okay, it could have gone either way. But if it was him going on his own, how the hell could he have known that? Exactly. How, how does he know that they keep in sick bay uh, samples of a deadly virus? Which, by the way, what did she have that for? I mean, right. if you're if you're a research. And, and mind you, there's multiple times where McCoy and Crusher have had to come up with amazing cures for some disease that popped up out of nowhere. But really, I mean, that's the kind of deadly stuff you have in a very, a very locked down uh, research lab, not floating aboard, you know, you know, on uh, on a starship. And even if you did have it on a starship, wouldn't you have that under lock and key? And if it's under lock and key, how the hell did beers get into that? I mean, exactly. not only how did he know about it, but how did he get into it? I don't know. And then he knows where the, uh, you know, physically where the uh, the life support systems are. And he yeah. knows exactly where to get to the right one where he can introduce something into the water supply. So. Nope, that was that was my exact point. To me, well, I think I, that was I, that was the one weak point of the story. Yeah, and that's why the only explanation I can come up with uh, that isn't just totally BS is that um, Captain Crusher basically did it as a last briefed him on it as a last ditch contingency plan. I I don't think Wesley would have risked. All those people on the Enterprise to save one planet. Okay. What about this, though? What if all of Starfleet, because they've been using this transporter technology, and by the way, I assume it's not just... Oh, uh, yeah, good point. It's, just, it's not just Crusher's uh, ship. Uh, I mean, they're using this uh, this hyperport probably in all the ships, or a lot of them anyway. And so if all of Starfleet is contracted this thing... Um, I mean, how many planets would be affected? And even if they weren't, even if the number of planets affected weren't that high, well, until you figured out what it was, you're done exploring, man. Go home. I mean... Yeah, good point. I hadn't thought about that. So to save the whole Federation, he's willing to risk all the lives on the Enterprise? Including his own. And his mom's? Yep. And all future generations of those people? Yes. That's a pretty huge... I, I agree. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But you see, that's you know a good story. You know, will will make you think about things like that, where everything isn't just incredibly clear and laid out, and there's no ambiguity. Right. 
Yeah, so you mentioned that uh, the writer is not uh, Michael Jan Friedman. Yes. Which is which is uh I thought it was still on the cover as Michael Jan Friedman. I just had to check it's not. But uh Dave Stern, he he's written quite a few um after this, this was his first Star Trek expanded universe thing. Uh-huh. Uh since then he he wrote quite a few novels for the Enterprise um expanded universe stuff. Oh. Uh, which are uh, I've read some of those and they're pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and he also wrote um, one of the Captain Sulu um, audio books. Cool. I think I think it's part of your collection that Transformations. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't gotten to it yet. I and don't think. Mm. What was it about? Well, that, I don't want to. I don't I'm remember. Everything down. And the most recently thing he wrote <laughs> is something that we talked about earlier, which was one of the. Expanded universes uh, stuff about Captain Pike, right? So he's still around. He's still writing uh, Star Trek stuff. Excellent. Well, if this is an example, he's uh, he's half of a good writing team. Yep. No, he's really good. I, I I've always enjoyed everything I've read of his. Good. Um. Oh, one last thing to say. Um. At the time near the beginning where Picard is chewing out Wesley uh, about his little experiment and using the Iconian tech. Uh, and about not no one fully understands the Iconian text, so who knows where, what it could lead to. Um, I thought he was kind of overdoing it, but in the end, we find out that basically what he's saying is stating the thesis of this uh, this story. Uh, if you don't understand the tech you're dealing with and the ramifications of it, you could really mess things up. So. That's all I want to say. Again, yeah. as usual, Picard is wise. Oh, you're wise, Picard. Now, is Iconian technology, is that ever mentioned anywhere else? I don't know. I mean, they, they seem to talk about it like it was kind of a, a very known thing. Yeah, I guess it was in an episode of The Next Generation that they actually had Iconia in there. Cool. In that Contagion episode. That would make more sense. Because it said that it was... Uh... But I can't remember that one, Contagion. That just doesn't... Ring a bell. It doesn't ring a bell either. Okay, well, we're running really long, so shall we get to the... Uh... It was season two, that's why. It was a Pulaski episode. Pfft, nobody oh, watches Pulaski those. Pulaski episode. Nobody God. watches Again, those. Again, Pulaski. Anyway. Okay. All right. All right, so that finishes episode... Or, I'm sorry, that finishes issue number 18. Right. And so, since we did Expanded Universe through for these three months, last week we'll kind of go over really quickly the nine next-gen episodes... That came out these three months. So this is season four. And the first one was Devil's Due, which came out on February 4th. Right. Um, that was the one where the woman was pretending to be the devil. Right. And they were on trial. I, I love that episode. And enough things uh, about her were going on that Picard was actually starting to think, maybe this woman is. Uh, at least I was. Maybe me as a viewer was. But uh, she wasn't. Spoiler, what if somebody hadn't watched that episode? Oh, who hasn't seen that? Devils do, <laughs> come on. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, the next-ish episode was Clues, which came out on February 11th. Um, that was the one where everybody wakes up and slowly they start piecing together that they've missed out on a big chunk of time. Right. And only Data knows the secrets. And, ah, he, yes. and he's trying to keep it secret because... Uh, past Picard ordered to keep him secret. Exactly. It was, it was a good episode. 
I don't remember all the details, but uh, they came into contact with some kind of alien race that could have destroyed them if they didn't all just uh, basically forget about them or something. Right, exactly. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, and then they had to all forget again, and then Data was, again, ordered to keep secret. But they were supposedly going to do a better job of taking away all the clues. Something right. like that. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to do it again. The first, think of the first one as a dry run. <laughs> All right, the next one was uh, First Contact. Which is now very that's interesting. The, that's where they meet up with the Borg, right, in the past? Mm, no. Oh, I, do not re- I did not remember that they had an episode named First Contact. Very interesting. Yeah, and that, I love this episode. It's the one where Riker, uh, he goes on a First Contact mission, and right. he ends up getting injured, and he's confused as to who, who's, who's what. Because he doesn't remember that he's really an alien dressed up. He's not a human dressed up as this alien. And uh, did he not he, remember that, or he was trying to keep his his identity on a cover? I think at first he didn't remember, so he oh. kind of had amnesia because he took a hit to the head. Yes, he definitely took a hit. He, so yeah. he, he got caught up in a uh, in some kind of a crowd riot or something. Right, and and he never understands why his hands don't look like the aliens' hands. Right. It was a good episode. I love that episode. It was a good episode. And, w- and one of the things I love best about it is that the beginning was totally unlike a, any other – I mean, typical Star Trek episode, you're on the ship, uh, a problem is presented, the rest of the episode deals with it. This one, uh, totally different. You don't know where you're at. Um, you don't know what's going on. Um, and then you see it's Riker. Uh, and then, and then you, then that's where the story picks up. It started very different from uh, for, from a normal episode. I loved it. And what's funny is that it had BB Newworth in it as the the doctor that kind of falls in love with Riker, and she was the one that played um, uh, what was her name, Lilith on Frasier and oh, Cheers. Really? Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. So another Frasier in the same episode. Another Frasier connection. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one was called Galaxy's Child, which came out March 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the one where the Enterprise had to. This give, is Leah. Give birth to the baby. Oh, was that was that the Leah episode? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Galaxy. Okay. So this is Galaxy's Child, right? Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge gets a very special visitor. Brilliant engineering designer, Dr. Leah Brahms. <laughs> so it's the one where... That is the, so funny. We just one, talked about that. Yeah, the real Leah Brahms shows up. Right, right, exactly, right. That's funny. I didn't remember that. I remembered that they had to cut open a space creature so that the baby could pop out. Isn't, isn't that the one? At the end? Yes. Or, uh, well, okay. Or am I mixing it up with something else? Yeah. Okay. So this one, yeah, this is the one where they, the basically the mother dies, and they have to get the uh, the baby out. Oh, that's right. And the baby and then, starts nursing off the shields or something like that. Uh, something like that. Yeah, I remember now. Uh, then Junior instinctively identifies the Enterprise as his mother and locks on, <laughs> draining energy through the hull. That's right. I didn't really care for that one, but yeah. but now that you mentioned that it's the Leah Brahms episode, I did like that part. Yeah, I didn't yeah, realize it was the same one. I, I didn't either. All right, so the next one is called Night Terrors, Ooh. where the Enterprise is traveling through a rift in space and plagued by 
hallucinations because they're not able to dream or something like that. Um, I don't really remember this episode all that much. It's not nothing's jumping out at me. Well, I definitely remember the episode where nobody could could uh, could could sleep, and therefore they couldn't or they couldn't have REM sleep. Right, right. I remember that. So they could sleep, but not REM sleep. So their body was deprived of some hormone or something, and they're all kind of weird. And they're all like, and there was just a bunch of like like. Nightmare on M Street type stuff where they turn a corner and something crazy will be happening because they're having waking dreams or whatever, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I do remember. And then there was another ship that tried to get out of the zone too called the Britain, apparently. All right. Take your word for it. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm, I'm reading a little bit about it. Okay. Anyway, so um, so basically they're all being driven insane. Yeah. So the next one was Identity Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um. That was the one where um, Jordy was Jordy was on some sort of previous mission, yep. and he's being drawn to go back there and become an alien. Right. I didn't like that episode. I like that episode only in one fact is that it it was the only time it's ever shown a crew member using a visual recording device. He had a camera on his head to record. Uh, you know, because Jordy kept playing back this video that they took while he was on that planet. Right. And then he recreates it in the holodeck, so he has them recreate that guy that was videotaping it, and uh-huh. they show a device on his head that was recording it. Because other than that, they've never shown any type of visual recording medium. Oh. Hmm. I mean, they always talk through the communicators. That's just audio. And you would think that, you know, you know Skype calls oh. and webcam <laughs> calls are still going to be around in the future. Yeah, but don't they don't they sometimes use tricorders to record take visual records? Do of they? course, you you never see a camera or something. So how do they do that? Um, but that's not unusual because sometimes you somehow somehow magically on the Enterprise they're able to get uh, video transmissions with having no camera in a place. Yeah, I always thought that was funny. That yeah, it's weak. All right, so next up was an episode called The Nth Degree. Um, this was a Barclay episode, so anything that Barclay's in is, is awesome. Um, and I think this is the one where they end up meeting God or something or some sort of energy being kind of like kind of like the Star Trek V version of God where he's somehow – they don't explore space. They somehow send these telepathic rays to – draw people to them so that they can learn about other species and and Barclay was the one that was getting drawn in. Was that, that what it was? I don't And I don't and and if I'm how did they get drawn in? Well, is that the one where Barclay becomes super intelligent yes. and is really like exactly. condescending and starts controlling the whole thing by his thoughts, the whole ship? Yeah, somehow he's electrocuted through a shuttlecraft's computer where he receives an unexplainable boost of confidence and a vast increase in knowledge. Mm. At least that's what I'm reading here. I don't remember the details. Yeah, I remember that episode. I just remember the dude at the end uh, and the whole idea that they don't go out and explore. Okay, well, that. Okay, so fine. So uh, that's the nth degree. And uh, let's talk about uh, the next one, Cupid. Okay, so Cupid, April 22nd. Yep. I guess oh. I had Q in it. Yeah, Cupid. Yes, yes, yes. 
That's the uh, Robin Hood Q episode, right? Yes, and Vosh is there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is that the first Vosh episode? Oh, I don't... Is it the first one? Well, she's only in one, so it must be. <laughs> no, no, no. What are you talking about? She's in at least three episodes. Of the original series? Well, original series? Next uh, gen. In the next gen? Yeah. Okay. yeah the, the first time he meets her is when he's on holiday at Risa. Risa, right. right. And then there's another time he, he uh, with, he's with Q. She's with Q. That's that's actually Deep Space Nine. Oh, no, you know, you're right. Mm. At the end of this episode is the one where she goes off with Q, and then in Deep Space Nine, she shows up with Q. Okay, fine. Right, right. So in this one, um, Vaj comes back. And then they all have to uh, do the Robin Hood thing, and she's made Marion, right? Yes, yes, and uh, Vash has made Marion and right, yes. Yeah, okay, now I'm remembering it. And I just remember the, the great haircut that uh, Data had, the Friar ah! Tuck <laughs> The Friar Cut, the Friar Tuck haircut, yes. That's Love funny. it. Yes. All right, and then uh, the last episode is the Drumhead yes. uh, that we'll be talking about today. And that I remember being a, like, Law & Order type episode. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of details of myself. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think that it had to do with um, – it was like a conspiracy thing, or at least Picard was being accused of some sort of conspiracy when there really wasn't one, kind of like the, the – The guy who pops Picard, up in New The Boys McCarthy hearings. Wasn't it kind of like that? McCarthy like, hearings? Like, well, yeah. Okay. Where everybody was like – like all of Hollywood was part of the the the, the communist conspiracy and, oh, and it was kind of like that where Picard was being lumped in with this conspiracy thing going on when there really wasn't one. Yeah, so uh, a retired admiral boards the Enterprise in an effort to determine the actions aboard the ship surrounding an act of sabotage and possible treason. Mm. That, that's the one sentence synopsis. Okay. I don't uh, remember well, it that much. Maybe I'm misremembering it. Anyways, it's not one that jumps out at me as like Cupid and Devil's Do did. <laughs> Devil's Do, I, I like Devil's Do. Cupid I liked, but, you know, I think, actually I think this was an episode that, uh, that Patrick Stewart d directed. Uh, which one? The Drumhead? Cupid. Cupid. Oh, Cupid? Right. Because I think Frakes directed Drumhead. Very possible. Very possible. Um, because I remember huh. something about, uh, like some behind the scenes kind of thing where uh where Stuart was like oh this is the f okay so this is my first directorial uh star trek episode and it's like with all this you know robin hood stuff and it's like uh couldn't it be a normal one it's like <laughs> anyway. oh he just wanted to wear tights exactly i'm directing this so i have to wear tights <laughs> exactly <laughs> and they're tight green ones too anyway Oh, I, I didn't know he directed that one. Uh, I, be I believe that is. I believe that is the fact. All right. So any that that's anybody listening, that's your that's your assignment. Find out if we're wrong. Prove it. Yeah, prove it. Yeah. All of you, prove it. Yeah. Unfortunately, IMDb doesn't give you that kind of uh, detail. Oh it no, does, actually, but you have to really it dig does, in. Does but mm. uh, anytime I go to IMDb to find a particular episode, it's like a chore. All right, so uh, we're kind of running long, so uh, we are. Like I said, we'll make that an assignment for somebody else who 
cares if we're wrong or not. Who cares? Okay, there you so go. So next week we will do we'll go back to the original series with issue nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one. Excellent. So uh, get back with the original cast. And I think Any Peter group. David's back for that one, so that that should be good. Good. Excellent. All right, so until next week, guys, hope everybody enjoyed it, and take care. Sounds good. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.